0: Welcome to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow with Jay Allen. Today, we're going to challenge you to think differently and do things differently, to search for what is seen as impossible to do in your field or industry, but if done, would be transformative, to understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Now, here is your host, Jay Allen.
1: Hello, I'm Jay Allen, host of this show, Future on Time, do differently tomorrow and today's discussion we're going to focus on transforming something finding your business edge a Thomas Edison quote is one of my favorites there is a better way to do it find it and our guest will discuss these things about edginess but think about how long has it been since you concentrated or confronted the impossible how long has it been since you've experienced the thrill and the excitement, and the anticipation of doing something that different, of finding the edge. We'll talk about these things today. We're excited to have three guests with us today who've led in so many aspects of life. Ingrid Christensen, founder and president of global language firm Inco International, working with over 200 languages. Inco provides interpreting and translation services for Fortune 500 companies, as well as smaller organizations. Agrend also is a former board member of the American Red Cross and is currently on the National Export Council and a board member of the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce. We also have with us today Darren Lynch, a transformational founder and CEO of Irish Titan, business first, online second. And his firm is a consistent annual winner of one of the best places to work. Congratulations, Darren. Irish Titan offers e-commerce, digital, and strategic services for Fortune 100 as well as mid-size and startup companies. Darren is a former member of the Federal Reserve Board Small Business Council. He currently serves on the board member as a board member of the Greater Twin Cities United Way and of the Scholl School of Entrepreneurship. And Rahisa Motala, is a creative and tenacious corporate and industrial real estate solution executive. you got to love that. As vice president of international commercial real estate firm Lee & Associates, she was even part of a medical MBA program before moving to a real estate career. What a wonderful diversity situation. And Rahisa is a board member of several organizations and former chair of Young Professionals of Minnesota. Welcome, you all. Thanks for having
2: us, Jay. Thanks, Welcome.
1: Jay. Thank you. And Ingrid, have you been to Denmark recently or even traveled internationally?
3: Uh, unfortunately, I have not uh, traveled internationally um, since March. My last trip out of the country was in March, but I'm sure like, like the rest of you, we're, we're temporarily grounded here.
1: I experienced the same thing. My last trip was March 4th. And Raisa, where are you today?
4: Um, Beautiful St. Louis Park, Minneapolis. I mean, I wish I was on a beach somewhere. It's been a while since I've been on a plane. I forgot what that looks like.
1: Well, you've got some definite aspirations to look forward to. And Darren, where are you today?
5: I'm in our office, also in beautiful St. Louis Park, just outside of Minneapolis, for anybody who's listening and not familiar with the Twin Cities region. So I am in our lovely... Irish Titan office with a lot of green all over the place.
1: So, uh, Darren, do you still have the fire pole in your office?
5: We do still have a fire pole, although, to be clear, it's referred to as our bat pole. Um, in our <laughs> HR uh, documentation, when we hire people, there's an actual bat pole waiver form that's titled <laughs> Bat Pole Waiver Form that people sign. It's right, I can, I can see it right outside my office window here.
1: And as right I recall, now, that, that's a two-story pole, right?
5: Correct, yeah. We have a fire pole, bat pole. We have a fire pole and the St. Louis Park Fire Department. does not.
1: <laughs> well, that is on the cutting edge for sure. So you all, let's talk about your experience with transformation. What does edginess mean to you? And what is the impact of that transformation or even edginess getting to the edge? mean to you?
5: Uh, Well, I'll bounce off of that first, Um, Marisa and Ingrid and I have all known each other for a long time so I think we'll have a pretty organic conversation here, but edgy is sort of an interesting term um, and it was interesting when I read Bucketheads, how you positioned that, right? Because I think in a professional sense, in a business setting, edgy isn't always, uh, doesn't come to mind when thinking about people that are transformational or, Change agents; those sorts of uh, terms are used more frequently because edgy can sort of imply I don't know someone you know with a nose piercing or with a sleeve. And uh, speaking of tattoos, and um, I don't think it's always applied to the business world, which is why it's interesting that you did. Because really, what what I, what comes to mind when reading um, edginess in bucketheads is like fearlessness, right? Um, transforming your organization and pushing things forward and not being able, or excuse me, not being afraid to jump off that cliff and um, have faith in your abilities to create the net on your, on your way down. Uh, Cause I think a lot of us do that for better or worse. And I, that's what comes to mind when I think about edgy, as you put it.
3: Yeah. I, Darren, I think you're right on there. I try to keep something in the back of my head and I have a quote in my notebook that I carry around that The best things in life are on the other side of fear. Hmm. And it's always shocking, not shocking, but but it's it's an amazing reminder to me that every single time I do something that I'm afraid of, the most amazing things happen, like the best experiences, breakthroughs, learnings, um, whatever it is, right? Whether it's something like skydiving or trying something new for the, you. Know, it doesn't have to be super extreme. It's just the the idea that you step outside of your comfort zone and you see a whole new world open up that you couldn't even have begun to imagine.
4: Right. Agreed. And I think it also comes down to, you know, having the ability to take something that's not the norm and showcase it as something that could actually become something that others look to later on to implement in their own process. Um, so I, I, there's so many examples that I can think of just in the industry, in my industry as a whole, where it wasn't, you know, don't do it because it's too edgy. And now it's, it's kind of one of those things where why haven't we been doing this since day one?
5: Right, yeah, I, just to quickly comment on Ingrid's um, comments. I'm not the most poetic person, so I don't have uh, quotes written down in my notebook. <laughs> But your quote reminded me actually of a lyric in a song from one of my absolute favorite artists, Ray Wiley Hubbard. He's a Texas kind of outlaw rock blues country guy. And he has this line in one of my favorite songs of his. It says, um, fear is like dragons guarding our most precious treasure. And again, I'm not the most poetic. So things like that don't normally pop out at me and then remain buried in my head. But for some reason that one did. So I think it's really true, right? Like I think a lot of, the decisions that people make or don't make are unfortunately rooted in fear, um, and that rarely works out well.
1: Just for our audience, could you repeat that quote about the dragons?
5: Um, fear is like a dragon guarding our most precious treasures. <laughs> I have cult, to add yeah. that
3: to my to my notebook, Darren.
5: Right. As a Kiss fan, most of the lyrics are not nearly as poetic that I know. Um, as that one by Ray Wiley Hubbard, and could not many of them could not be repeated on radio.
1: So this dragon is gri- guarding the most tre- precious treasures, but uh, it sometimes keeps us from new treasures.
5: Right. Or even right. just, um, even just grabbing those treasures that are there, right? We like we hold ourselves uh, back.
1: Got it. What have What have you thought about? the downside that part of the fear is looking at this unimaginable downside of taking the step. What do you think the real downside is?
5: Well, um, and I I don't have to go first on all these questions either. Um, So ladies chime in, Um, but I think that, um, you know, the downside of that is complacency I think the downside is rust. Um, another saying that I, I read about uh, always looking to change, right? Because um, I think that, I heard a speaker once say that as owners and entrepreneurs, we have a moral oblig- obligation to grow our businesses, and I don't know if I agree with that, um, depending on your definition of grow, but I do think that we have a moral obligation to continually transform our business and change it. Um, and I think that the downside of the, the fear or the absence of edginess is that rust settles in and then rust never sleeps and become complacent. So that's sort of the conceptual downside. And tangibly, I think you start to run the risk of turnover. Um, you start to run the risk of um, losing market share uh, because you start to lose some of that energy um, that people on the outside are aware of when, you're, when your business is transforming or growing or changing.
2: I think,
4: oh, Oh, go ahead, Raisa. I would, you know, I think that there's something to be said about that, Darren, but at the same time, when you look at certain industries or businesses that refuse to implement things to change um, and to keep up with the times, I think that's part of that, rust too, because you have so much technology that comes out on a daily basis, your market share has to widen to, you know, accommodate all of that. And when you continue to do something the way you've always wanted to do it and you want to live in the past, because if it's not broke, don't fix it. And that's really one of the biggest downfalls is we can't, as humans, we don't like to adapt. We don't like change. Right. Um, and we really shy away from that.
3: And on the on the flip side, I'm just going to throw this out there that I think as entrepreneurs, at least myself as, as a business owner, um, there's no shortage of ideas, right? I can look around and see about 50 million different things that pops in my head and I get an idea and I want to run with it because I think every idea is the best idea. Um, but that constant new idea and new um, shift in focus got really tiring and exhausting for my team. Right. and. I heard them saying Ingrid just hold up like those are really great ideas but we can't focus on all of them right because if you focus on everything you focus on nothing. And so I've really had to think what you know what is the most important thing what are we going to do? Yes, we're constantly open to change and figuring out how to do things bigger and better but at the same time giving people a direction so they know where we're going and we're not bouncing around all of the time. Um, one of our, one of our 2020 kind of overarching goal this year for the company was um, make decisions and stick with them because my staff, like I said, they got really tired of me changing directions all of the time. So, so yes, um, fear can be paralyzing, um, but then also on the opposite side, it can be probably paralyzing. And also if you have so many different ideas and you're constantly shifting around.
5: I totally agree with that because, um, you know, I think that the, the change that we all want in our business and drive in our businesses is comes at the intersection of who each of us are, what our businesses are like and the industries that we're in, right? Like I think the more, um, established slash stale to maybe exaggerate the point, your industry, the more important it is to have sort of unbridled edginess, if you will, because that, uh, that stale industry is going to create opportunity for those who can figure out how to be edgy within that. On the other side, the more um, constant change you have in your industry, the more value there is in not always being edgy because there can be some real value in continuity. Um, so my industry is, super fluid every couple of years, the technology's changing, the acronyms are changing. Sometimes those acronyms have substance, sometimes they don't. Um, And so uh, knowing how to keep ourselves in check and throttle back a little bit on what we adopt, it it has actually, I think, been a skill we've acquired over the years, sort of like you're talking about, Ingrid, where you have to understand when to make that decision and when not to so you have some continuity and some, some direction.
1: That really resonates with me. What you've all said, uh, as you might recall, my experience in the last thirty years of uh, with my consultancy has spanned twenty different industries and hundred and some clients in thirteen countries. And there've been there have been these industries that have been uh, always faced with the immediate change and almost yesterday. And there have been industries that haven't. And the the need for transformation is present in every single one of them, but it has some addition, some different dimensions. And as I, as I think back on those several industries and those hundred and some clients that nearly universally, even with the Microsofts of the world, which was a client and others that are really out front, uh, the fear of too much edginess by itself was always exaggerated. I don't know how you see it but it's it's somehow it's in our nature to think the worst on the downside and the our imagination far exceeds the depth of the downside and so that's something that I'd like to just get out in front of our audience because we are we have to control our imagination on that we have to look at it logically and sometimes with, with people, I've, I've asked them to take out a sheet of paper and say, okay, describe the downsides of taking this action that's really edgy and describe the out, upsides. And, and when they finally put it down on paper, the upsides are a minimum of three to one to the downside. But right. in their head, it was 10 to one downside and one out of 10 upside. Does that make sense to you?
3: Absolutely. And sometimes um, when I'm faced with a decision, I I do ask myself, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? And the worst thing that could possibly happen is 99% of the time, really not that terrible. Um, It's just the stories that you tell yourself in your head, right? It's the things that you think, well, the whole world is going to stop or I'm going to lose my business or (laughs) whatever crazy thing you're making up in your head. And those things never happen. They, right. you, you, you change, you shift, you pivot, you just, you keep going. I mean, life happens. Failures are, are inevitable, but.
1: You have a couple of very important words there, pivot and adjust and things like that. So when, when I have that same piece of paper out and, and people look at the downsides, I, I ask them, well, where's the pivot and where's the adjust in that? Oh, are you not, are you capable of pivoting and adjusting? Absolutely. That's how I got to where I am. That's who I am. That's how I'm successful. That's why I'm, uh, have this great career. I always do that. That that it sort of answers itself. Mm -hmm.
5: I know we don't want to use fear as the theme for everything we're going to talk about. Um, but it, it, it comes to mind again, when thinking about this, right? Like you think about the, that burden of regret is because you're worried about what might happen, what those outcomes might be. And like Ingrid said, most of the time they're not that bad, right? Um, but we're but we're I think irrationally fearful sometimes. And really, the, the I think that applies differently to different people, right? I think that um, look at any one of the assessment tools, whether it's Strengths Finders or DISC or Insights or Enneagram or True Colors. Because uh, I know Ingrid and I are an orange. Raisa, what are you, again, because I remember I sent that link to you. You were orange yeah. and blue?
4: Oh, no, <laughs> very little blue. I wish I had more blue. Right. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> um, I'm actually, yes, I'm ve- I am I was a uh, a mix between blue, uh, orange, green, and yellow. I actually was pretty much even in all three.
5: Right, right. Um, and so, so, uh,
1: Darren, I I if I could interrupt fall. you just for a moment. Yep. We're going to take a short break and then we'll come back and pick right up on that with you. Thank you very much.
0: Are you struggling to gain a competitive edge in your market? Are you looking for innovative ways to engage customers, improve responsiveness, and inspire your team to grow your business? Masters Alliance Strategic Management Consulting Firm brings over 30 years of experience partnering with a wide variety of industries in 13 countries to achieve breakthrough business results. Jay Allen and his team of professionals can help your organization consider new strategies and creative solutions to produce a lasting impact. Masters Alliance delivers the knowledge and experience to help your team take action now. Master's Alliance will work with you to engage employees, customers, and suppliers to accelerate how you do things to gain growth and competitive advantage. Our team brings fresh perspectives and a track record of excellence to help you accomplish your business goals. If you're ready to set your business apart and make a difference in your markets, Master's Alliance is ready to help. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more.
2: Are you ready to break the mold and discover your business edge? Are you ready to get to the future on time? Then take the bucket off your head and transform something. Opportunities are everywhere. Drawing on key principles from his award-winning Bucketheads book, Jay Allen and his team at Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC. We'll support you as you take your organization out of its comfort zone, energize, and embolden your team to champion new thinking, identify obstacles to growth, and look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective. Discover your organization's outlook on the future and potential to shape that future. Does your team appreciate the excitement of Achievement? Do they understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss? It's time to take action. Get in the new game and make a difference in the marketplace. Commit to success today. Get in touch with Jay Allen at MastersAlliance.com. Get your copy of Bucketheads today. Available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. See more at BucketheadsBook.com.
0: tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now, back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow.
1: Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of the show, and we have been discussing edginess and its relationship with transformation and what it means to organizations and to the individuals that have been involved, that are involved. We're excited to have three experienced leaders with us as guests, if you're just tuning in, Risa Matala, Ingrid Christensen, and Darren Lynch. And we are picking up again, talking about uh, some of the individual implications, uh, personal implications of being edgy and leading transformation. And Darren, you were are going to continue on that?
5: Sure. Um, I, I think where I was coming from is I think that um, certain labels get celebrated um, it, during certain eras, and era might just mean a year or two or ten, whatever it might, whatever the case might be. And I think over the last few years, for example, entrepreneur has been celebrated. Um, and if you're a, a fan of traction, um, EOS. Visionary gets celebrated and um, I think that people who fall into those categories Are are fine, but it takes all categories to to really make a company work, right? Um, And so the the people who might be more comfortable with being edgy Probably fall into certain categories So oranges using true color speak are probably people who are a little bit more comfortable being edgy but to stay on the true color train you need all four of those colors really to have an effective organization. If you're gonna be uh, an independent consultant, that's different. You can really play to your strengths and not worry too much about how you surround yourself. But in a, in a functional, scalable, well-oiled um, organization, you would have a blue, uh, using true color speak, to have some empathy and care for concern for people and, and some of those sorts of things. You would have a gold to make sure things are organized and running. You would have a green taking care of sort of the analytical, process-driven, scientific approach to whatever your business might be. And you would have the orange that's pushing the boundaries and being fearless and and edgy. So I think that that's an important concept for people to to remember so that they can be comfortable in their own skins. They can figure out what that skin is and then play to their strengths and surround themselves with the right people.
4: Well, right. It's kind of like having that well-oiled machine. So you're a machine operating within a machine, and then you have the ability to alter your machine to produce those better outcomes. And then when you compare your outcomes with your goals, you get to modify how that machine works, right? But I do think that individuals with a little bit more orange in them tend to be leaders of organizations that do have a lot more success because kind of to Ingrid's point, when you have so many ideas and you just want to run with it, you need the people to bring you back, hone you in and tell you, all right, this is where we need to go. This is the direction we have to go. And they actually play out to those trends. I think Darren, you're probably a, a little guilty of that.
5: Right. Yeah. Oranges are the best. Just ask us.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I think that is a very solid fundamental and very important to understand. And I just wanted to make a a sidebar comment on that, that that i found that every one of those colors has offsetting capabilities that some are surprising. And one of my favorite examples is when we were doing work, work with Microsoft in Europe Uh, Christian Vidal, the CEO, challenged us as consultants to see what we could do with accounts payable on accelerated implementation and connecting with customers and markets because he said, you'll never do it. And so we gathered the accounts payable team together and we expressed the challenge that had been laid out. And then we started looking at markets and customers, which they'd never done. They didn't know anything about markets and customers. Well, they got pretty excited about it. And you might imagine in accounts payable, there was a, some dominant colors. Uh, and so in in their further investigation, they discovered that in Microsoft's fast-moving world, one of the things that was slowing down their innovative responsiveness to customers was the number of small suppliers that they had that were providing data and code and, and new ideas to them and their inability to response and pivot quickly when things changed. And the accounts payable discovered that one of the reasons they were failing to pivot and change quickly was cash flow. Mm-hmm. They, couldn't, they couldn't adjust staff as quickly as Microsoft wanted them to because they didn't have the, the cash flow to add 10 people or eight people. And so accounts payable brought to the executive committee, uh, here's what we propose. We're going to pay every invoice electronically within 24 hours. And the CFO nearly had a heart attack. Well, how are you going to judge if it's valid and everything else? And remember this accounts payable, very shy person stood up and said, that's our job. We will know. And so the CEO interfered and said, well, what would be the loss ratio if you did it that quickly? And they gave this less than 1%. So he said, do it. And that happened. And it compressed the supply chain dramatically. All came out of counts payable. Mm-hmm. But you would think that would come out of a, of well, a more edgy group. Let's put right. it that way. Yeah. Right. So Jay, everybody Jay, love, ha- everybody, everybody Jay, has that in there somewhere.
3: I love that. I really love that. And I think one of the things as leaders, um, we need to remind ourselves that every one of those colors, going back to the color, um, every one of those people serves a really, really important purpose within our organizations. Absolutely. And I think oranges tend to be leave perhaps that, we are superior. And because we come up with all these ideas, maybe, I don't know. Um, Just, just guessing, just saying, saying. Um, (laughs) right. But we can, no business is going to run with all oranges. I mean, that would just be a fiasco, maybe a, a clown show or something, right. We need everybody. We know that. And I think it's just really, really important to remind ourselves that we have to respect everybody and where they're coming from and how they're showing up doing their work yes push people a little bit outside of their comfort zones um but also just respect where they're coming from and their and their approach and their thoughts i think that that's really important um yep. i would like to link
1: that i would readers. also like to link that to competitiveness because sometimes that's a confusing thing and i remember uh having this discussion with a second violinist in an orchestra who claimed she was absolutely positively not competitive. She was a musician and an artist. And I said, well, what are some of your long-term goals? And she said, well, I want to become first violinist. And I said, how does one get to be first violinist? And she said, well, we, oh, we compete. So (laughs) there's this, there are these hidden dimensions that the edginess and the thrill of edginess and the challenge of edginess uh, is likely to draw out.
3: I think sometimes we get afraid of of words, right? She maybe had a fear of competition, um, and saw competition as something negative. Um, I think sometimes we get these ideas in our head, and they they block us, right? We're afraid of competition. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of saying something.
4: Whatever it is that's that's blocking us, or you don't um, want to come off as too aggressive or too intimidating if you go out and get what you want, because then sure. you're kind of viewed at in a you view that in a negative light, almost.
5: Right, right. Either, either you self-edit um, or you let those strengths get out of control, right? Like, maybe she's hesitant to say competition because she's self-limiting how she views herself or she's worried about how others are viewing her. Or, conversely, right, like, is it Black Swan or what? what there's some of those movies, right, where you start to sabotage your competitions career or, or like livelihood and those sorts of things. Uh, so that you, you progress at their expense, right? It's like anything can get out of control if you don't keep it in check.
1: So I'd like to, I'd like to move to an expanded subject about, about leading. Uh, what do you think of the idea that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading?
4: So I think, um, so part of that, I think, plays into leaders allowing their people and also themselves to fail sometimes just to be able to not have the regret of trying. And that if you learn from that failure, it can, it can turn into a success, not all the time, but more, more likely it will. Um, like Ingrid mentioned, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen?
1: Have you, uh, have, have you seen firsthand the risk of not leading transformation and not being edgy? Have you seen that in your careers? Not in your yeah. necessarily your own companies, but client companies, et cetera?
5: Yes, and one really good example comes to mind for me because a year or two ago, um, I came across an old um, note that I took of our competitors, and this was probably 2000. Eight it was. The note was taken in 2008, and there was a list of 15 competitors. One of those companies is still in business today. Um, and so I think that goes to show you how quickly our industry changes, how important it is to develop that, that um, muscle memory, to know when to uh, transform, when not to, etc, but I think the absence of edginess is what has, what led to 14 out of 15, whatever that mathematical percentage would be uh, of those companies not being around anymore. I was actually shocked when I saw that. I know that companies can come and go pretty quickly in our space because there are no barriers to entry uh, to you know, speak Michael Porter kind of stuff. But I think that I was surprised when 14 out of 15 of the competitors that I noted in 2008-ish were gone.
1: That's amazing.
4: Aaron, do you feel like that maybe comes, you know, into, do you think that that probably happens though, because those leaders were just so afraid of being viewed as, as so far out of the box and they were trying to stick to this very professional idea of what the industry should do and keep it within that box? Or do you think that they just didn't realize how to tackle their market share correctly?
5: Probably more of the former. I think that Um, there's another leadership model I like a lot that talks about five archetypes of leadership um, and all leaders who are true leaders, right? Um, Which is a whole different topic about what defines a leader, but all leaders fall into one of five archetypes, trailblazer, architect, coach, manager, and tactician. Um, And I won't describe each of those, but tactician, uh, those are leaders who are good at whatever it is the company does A lot of companies in my space are led by tacticians, designers or developers who uh, start their business, they're doing the work, they build it up that they need to start to hire some people around them, et cetera, but they keep doing the work. That's their skill. That's where they get their energy. And at a certain point then, I think they're sort of um, obligated in their minds to continue on the path of what they know, and that starts to box them in and they become antiquated in process or technology or whatever it might
1: be. So that idea of muscle memory came up in last week's show. And the idea was if, if people haven't seen transformation or they haven't really seen the positive impact of edginess on their customers or on their clients or within their markets and especially on their suppliers like that Microsoft example, If they haven't seen it, first of all, they don't really believe that it's possible.
5: Mm
1: -hmm. Secondly, they don't have a clue as to how to get there. And third, they don't have an appreciation for what that does to an organization and the individuals, how it creates that thrill and excitement and anticipation that I talked about at the opening of the show today. And uh, somehow, that really sticks with me when you brought it up again. Have you seen those at an extension of what you just described? Uh Raisa or Ingrid, have you seen that lack of picture of what's possible impact what we're talking about?
3: Absolutely. And I think getting back to the role of a leader, it's our role to to demonstrate and to show folks what is possible and what change the positive effects of change and how transformation can help us um, help organizations help individuals um, I see that probably most in my and my younger employees right employees right out of college that this is maybe their first or second real job if 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 you want to call it a real job um, and and they're just not comfortable, right? They're just trying to to find their place in the world and figure out what the heck they're doing and there's so many different things going on. And so I, I think it's our our role, like I said, just to to demonstrate how that can happen and the positive effects that transformation bring and how that edginess can serve not only the individual but the but the group as a whole.
1: So is there is there something about the The freedom you get when you get to the other side of change, because you look at the you look at the formidable side of change when you're facing it, when an organization or a person faces it. But if you haven't gone through that and gotten to the other side of change with some frequency, does that take the fear level up? Because you don't know what the positive you don't know how it feels to get to the other side.
4: Yeah, you have nothing to measure that basis on. So you don't really have any experience of understanding what that's like. So I think you're going to keep just procrastinating and finding reasons not to because nobody wants to feel like they're going to fail and fall on their face. <laughs> you know, just the thought of it, I think, is is intimidating. But then on top of that, when you are working towards something and then just never get to that that goal or that outcome, it has to, it just kind of, exaggerates that idea and concept of why you
1: shouldn't. And Darren, it's time for you to tell us a little bit, uh, the audience, a little bit about Irish Titan before we take our break.
5: Sure, sure, thanks Jay. So uh, put plainly, Irish Titan is an e-commerce agency. So what we do is we build and grow our clients, we refer to them as merchants, our merchants e-commerce channels, Uh, But more importantly, we do that in this way that we refer to as business first, online second. That's our why to quote Simon Sinek speak. Um, We've trademarked that and really the heart of that is that it's not about the bits and bytes or the pixels or the keywords or the underlying technology. It's about how we put all of that together and more in a way to um, build and grow our merchants' e-commerce channels. We have 34 titans, as I refer to our employees, um I started the company back in 2004 and we're closed only 2 days a year St. Patrick's Day and the day after
1: <laughs> That's wonderful. And uh I've I've been to one of your St. Patrick's or your one of your celebrations I guess. Yeah. What yep. what what do you call that uh people who are uh uh not orneriness, uh goofiness. What was the what okay. do you call that? Shenanigans.
5: Shenanigators?
1: Shenanigators. Yes, Shenanigators, Shenanigators, right. Thank you very much. Is that Shenanigators,
5: (laughs) Aaron? Not yet. Let's look into that, too.
1: That's great. So now let's take a short break.
6: Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics. Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics, the character of the customer, an advanced approach to understanding and engaging your current and potential customers. Traditional demographic views no longer tell you all you need to know. Beyond Demographics engages your organization to gain unique, deep customer segmentation understanding. You get new perspectives of the motivations and needs of your customers. Masters Alliance is ready to help you identify distinct customer value with actionable customer priorities. We work with our team to reveal these hidden opportunities and develop demand, creating value propositions. Now is the time to look at your market through a new lens and chart a new competitive direction. At Masters Alliance, you know that customers are more than meets the eye. And success depends on looking beyond demographics. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more.
0: tuned into get to the future on time do differently tomorrow hosted by jay allen to reach out to the show with questions or comments please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com that's info at mastersalliance.com now back to get to the future on time do differently tomorrow
1: welcome i'm jay allen your host And we're excited to have three experienced leaders as guests with us today for your convenience if you just are tuning in. Darren Lynch, Reese of Matala, and Ingrid Christensen. And we've been discussing edginess and muscle memory about that and change and transformation, leadership, and edginess extended. And we just started discussing a little bit the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. And... I would like to ask all of you, when was it that you first understood the idea of leadership? When when did it occur to you, oh, that leadership is actually a thing?
5: I think for me, the first time that that started to become a, a, a sort of formal discipline that I was aware of was my first job. My first job out of college um, was at Principal Financial Group down in Des Moines and my first boss is still either my best boss ever or definitely in the running. Um, he taught me really quickly the, the, the value of understanding the difference between leading and managing. Um, you need both uh, to, you know, a lot of points we've all made throughout this conversation about how um, an organization needs a, it needs a whole host of skills to be effective, but there's a difference between leading and management and Jeff Wiley, who I'm still good friends with, so name check to Jeff. Um, He's the one that, for whatever reason, uh, saw through some of my probably immature orneriness and defiance and shenanigating and pulled me into some training. Principal really has a lot of uh, high-level impressive training and I learned really quickly in my early 20s the difference between leading and management. That was the first time I sort of consciously began realizing when I'm leading, when I'm not, when I had been leading up to that point, et cetera. So that that was my first exposure to it.
4: Mine was um, probably when I was 11 and my mom said, you're in charge of your brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, so ironically enough, so my name actually means leadership. So growing up, my parents um, always said they named me for a reason. And it was to implement a strong sense of leadership in me. Cause that's the direction they wanted me to grow into an independent, um, strong female role model for others. Um, but I think like you, Darren, it it was probably one of my earlier jobs in my career was having mentors that were strong leaders and were strong role models that were able to distinguish the difference between having a manager and having someone who could put you on a path and set you up for success. And I think a true leader is someone who is always willing to put your success before theirs, because that's a reflection on on themselves. And I think, I, I think it's the army that they're saying is uh, leaders eat last, which is so true more so than, you know, any other time. And, uh, you know, in times of, of unprecedented times or crisis, you know, leaders, they're not made, they're revealed. So having that ability to recognize where you micromanage versus where you guide someone, allow them to be inquisitive, ask questions, you know, make mistakes and come back and have that communication with them is really important.
3: That is really beautiful, Raisa. I love that That's story. Much. Um, I think, you know, hearing both of you because when you asked the question, Jay, I was like, heck, I don't know when I realized, you know, what what a leader really was and if I was a leader. And I think sometimes I to be honest, I still struggle with that. Am I am I leading enough? Am I a good enough leader? Right. I think we all have these fears that that you know, these voices inside our head. Um, but now when I think about it, um, it was probably, I think leadership was instilled on me when I was young, right? I was a Girl Scout. All of, a lot of Girl Scout scouting is about leading, um, being prepared, doing your best. Um, and then I was kind of, not constantly, but continuously picked for leadership opportunities right. throughout my school experience, um, and I think that just allowed me to as, you, as we talked about, Jay, to use those muscles, flex those muscles, figure out what it was to step into a leadership role, and, and kind of continue on, on that path. Um, and Darren, like, like you, I, I feel like I, I work on my leadership skills constantly. I feel like we have to, as leaders, if we really want to be effective leaders, right. we have to learn how to be better versions of ourselves every day. Um, and I feel like that's a really important aspect of my life. Um, and leading my team, leading my family, leading my my life is is really focusing on how to do that um, bigger and better.
4: I think there's something to be said that individuals who always question their ability to lead are sometimes the ones that are the perfect people for the job, because you're so willing and to take the initiative to consistently learn new processes, go out, educate yourself, train yourself and question whether you're doing the right thing for the people who are under you or working around you. And that, that truly is what a leader is. I mean, as children, we have lemonade stands, we sell, you know, cute little cookies, whatever it is. And until you're older, you don't recognize those were all traits that you had that made you into the leader you are today, which feeds into those who are a little bit more orange.
5: Right. Yeah. I think the better... Um, more developed leader you become, the more humility you have. Because I think, um, I, I, I know that there are some people who are going to disagree with this, but I think to a large degree, leaders are born, um, not made. You can work on your skills, don't get me wrong. But I think that, that just like anything, we're all born a certain way, right? Like there's a, a great man once said that we spend our entire lives becoming more of who we are. Um, so, if you look back at your kindergarten report card, your first grade report card, whatever that teacher was saying about you, that's all who we still are today. You've learned to temper that a little bit or come out of your shell a little bit if you were too quiet, whatever the case may be, right? But I think that, that leaders are probably on the um, uh, overly competent, overly, overly self assured. Side of the scale earlier in their careers and learn to temper that, or they begin to fail as leaders.
1: So, what do you think of the idea that sometimes leaders leadership is confused with doers? In other words, uh, people the do you, we all know the doers in the world, and uh, so a lot of things are given to doers to lead.
3: I think really, I think good leaders don't do everything. They allow other people to do. Um, I think we have to, because sure, we may be very capable of doing everything, but that's not going to get you anywhere, right? Then you just keep doing, 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 and then you're just like in this rat hole race of, of doing and you're not leading. I think a true leader has to step back and, and lead and let other people do
4: Right. Um knowing yep. your strengths, knowing you know where your your downfalls are and understanding how to utilize those best around you to, you know, create those solutions and solve those problems. We cannot do everything. There is no possible way. This whole idea of, yes, you can have everything. You can't have it every day, but you're not going to have every skill set possible to run an organization on your own. And when you start utilizing the individuals that are really good at that and putting them front facing, that's where leadership shines.
5: Absolutely. Totally agree with everything you both said, because I think that This is also a good example where leadership can get confused for other things, because there'd be a whole different subset or cross section of people who, um, keeping it clean, get things done right. And there's a a different way to put that that that's even more emphatic. But we all know people who get things done, and um, some of those people are better leaders than others, or good leaders in certain situations and, and not in others, right? So. Um, I I think that leadership gets confused for that. And I, I, I would caution people for mixing the two because people can get things done who aren't leaders and people can get things done who are leaders.
1: Then there's the idea of reluctant leaders. Now, I'm a former Naval officer and I remember very vividly circumstances that came about that required others to step up. And it's always the next person up, those kinds of things. Yep. And there, there were reluctant leaders, and there were those people who didn't appear that they had any ounce of capability of leading. So I think uh, from that, I've I've formed an opinion that's more toward the leaders being revealed, and and finding out that much of the discussion about leadership is really on the fine edge, where. We're talking about the refinement of leadership. So we go back to my example I just stated, those reluctant leaders that actually stepped up and did a very effective job at leading under circumstances which was quite a surprise. And then really didn't want to do it anymore, but we knew they could be effective at it, so we encouraged them. Right. But then as you then you line up those leaders in categories and find out that Well, there is that top 10% that just seems to be able to do it extraordinarily well. And we forget many of the other 90% that can actually do it. And depending on the circumstances, can do it quite well. Right. They just might not reach the Leader Hall of Fame, which relatively speaking is not too important.
5: Right. Well, there's that concept of you know, peacetime president and wartime president. And different people are better suited for each of those scenarios.
1: So can any of you picture a time when you regretted not leading? For instance, the idea that I teed up on the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. And the reason I ask that question is it seems like those times that we didn't step up, they just sort of stick with us and kind of gnaw at us a little bit.
3: You know what? I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I have a very specific um, example. Um, I just recently, a couple months ago, I hired a VP of, of sales and he is upping our sales uh, department within the organization. And what it strikes me the most is how I have been an absolute terrible sales manager and sales leader to other sales folks that I've brought in. And I placed their failures. I placed the blame on them and I didn't place the blame on me. And I was the one that was at fault. I was the one that wasn't being a successful manager and really leading them the way that they needed to be led. And it's interesting how it takes a different experience to prove that it was such a terrible failure. Does that, does that make sense?
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a common challenge for people like us, Ingrid, because nobody can sell like us for our businesses. They just can't. Someone could be a better salesperson. There's no doubt about that. But when an owner walks in the room and it's our baby, we just talk about it differently. Um, And, you know, I think that then building out a sales team and scaling that and delegating is super hard. Um, And so that's pretty common, Um, or at least I can totally relate to that. Um, Jay, to answer your question, I think that, and I'll give it a different angle since Ingrid covered one of the thoughts I had about how as a leader, sometimes I haven't delegated well as we've scaled or tried to scale. Um, I think that (laughs) really, few times that I regret leading. There are probably multiple times, or I mean, few times I regret not leading, and there are some times I regret leading. I think if someone else maybe had been in uh, charge, I wouldn't have gotten into some of the shenanigans that I may have found myself in.
1: Good. Uh, I have to uh, move on to the close, I'm sorry. But it's been a wonderful discussion. And uh, we talked about these things and change and edginess. And some have said getting to the future on time is not possible, but that's not really the point. The point is to create your own future, and then it's possible. And I think that's what we've been talking about. So I'd like to thank you, Ingrid, Darren, and Reisa for joining me today. We've had a great discussion. And I want to thank the listeners for the privilege of being with you today. And if please tune in next week, Thursday, 10 to 11 Central Daylight Time. It was a great time. Thank you all.
0: Thank you for listening to get to the future on time do differently tomorrow with jay allen next week we will have more takeaways for your business success so please join us next thursday at 8 a.m pacific time and 11 a.m eastern time on the voice america business channel we'll talk soon